Hello, Grace family. My name is Adam Spees, and uh, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, I hope to in the near future. I'd invite you to email me. We'll throw that on the screen. If you have any questions, if there is any way that I can or we can be of help to you. Today, we continue on in our conversation, Let's Talk Respect. Over the past few weeks, we've talked about respect as it relates to the home, Respect among generations and respect uh, among genders, in particular related to sexuality. If you haven't had the chance to journey with us, I'd invite you to look back at those. Today, we will continue on in our conversation because what I know and what you know is this conversation is so crucial and so timely. We don't have to look far. Uh, This past Tuesday evening, the first presidential debate to see signs of disrespect. And what I know is that respect is something that more and more of us demand, but it seems that less and less of us are willing to give. Today, we're gonna talk about respect as it relates to the workplace. What I know is from an early age, you and I develop expectations about what we're willing to give and what we hope to get from our work. I think of my first job. If you're at home watching this with your family, maybe you pause it and tell them about your first job. But at the age of 14, my dad was a plumber by trade and he was working at a nearby condo association. They were building some new condos and he got to know the owner named Norm. And Norm had been talking about uh, the lack of college help that he had had over the summer. And my dad said, hey, I have a son, and I guarantee he'll work just as hard as those college students. So I rode my bike uh, about a mile uh, to go work for Norm at these condo associations. I would do kind of light maintenance. I would clean some of the new construction. And I was paid $5 an hour. I had to look back to make sure it was minimum wage. It actually was a quarter over 25 years ago because $5 doesn't go very far right now. My kids bring in the trash can and they beg me for $5, right? But I learned expectations about work. I learned that after four hours, especially in the trades, uh, I deserved or I received a 15-minute break. But I observed closely how others worked and the expectation of working hard in that environment. I had, uh, you know, the ability to observe my dad closely as he occasionally would be working there. But what I also learned is that I desired to be acknowledged for my work. I know uh, I am an Enneagram 3, the achiever and at the root of a people pleaser. But I think inherently in each of us is this desire to be respected when it comes to our work. We can evaluate or uh, determine whether we're receiving respect from our coworkers and bosses by their tone of voice, by their nonverbal cues, by their willingness to include us in important conversations by the trust that they extend to us, by the invitation to be in certain meanings. And all of us desire to receive respect at work. Respect in the workplace is such an important conversation because 
we spend such a significant part of our lives at work. I read a study that said on average, each of us spend the equivalent of 13 years in two months in our work environment. We know the amount of time that you and I spend at work. Respect in the workplace is also important because diversity is at an all-time high. Studies have shown that uh, greater diversity in the workplace leads to greater business vibrancy. Often it translates into higher profits. And so with all the diversity comes challenges when the workplace is probably the environment when we're around the people who are most different than us. I read an article this week about uh, a San Francisco 49ers uh, female football coach. Her sister had shared how recently she felt disrespected by the seat she was given on the plane. While other coaches were given first class, she was in the economy class. And what we see is with all the diversity and the amount of time spent that respect in the workplace is a significant conversation for us to have. And we're going to do that by exploring two verses. What we see in 1 Timothy 6 is Paul writing to this group of people. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. I just want to take a moment and address an elephant in the room before we move on, because um, you probably, like myself, have questions when we see in the Bible this idea of slavery and of masters. But who Paul is writing to is drastically different than what you and I think of in terms of slavery. These people, uh, it wouldn't have been a strong racial component to their slavery. It was much more of a complex uh, situation and a very common institution. It was recorded in the Roman Empire that almost half of the population was in slavery, uh, about 60 million people. And slaves held all kinds of positions. Some were doctors, artists, teachers, musicians. And there were many reasons um, how people got into slavery. Some were enslaved as a consequence of war. Some were enslaved because of crimes they committed. Some actually chose, because of their poverty, to indebt themselves to uh, a caring master. And so they would willingly um, walk into slavery. And then there were others that it was through um, a slave trading or kind of a stealing of persons. What we see in Scripture is uh, God never calls for a political revolution. That's what the Jews were hoping when Jesus came on the scene, this messianic king that would overthrow the Roman Empire. But God's heart has always been to change the heart of man, to abolish slavery within our own heart. And this kind of desire of changing our inner thinking of expressing equality amongst each and every individual has led to the abolition of slavery in England and America. And we've seen the impact of the teaching of Scripture in relation to this slavery. So we go back to 1 Timothy 6, and we see here that Paul is saying, consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. 
Then he says, he kind of transitions to another scenario. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they're fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. So Paul here in mind is predominantly writing uh, to many slaves who are hearing him. It was very attractive for slaves to turn to Christianity because of this equal standing. So in verse 1, he's talking to slaves who have unbelieving masters. And in verse 2, he transitions to those who happen to have masters that follow Christ. And he says, regardless of the scenario, the expectation is the same, that you would treat them with respect. He actually goes on in that second scenario to say that you shouldn't uh, take it easy. You know, you shouldn't be a freeloader. You shouldn't um, work half-heartedly if you have a believing master because of maybe an understanding of this equality in Christ. Maybe it's a master you're kind of doing church with. He says, even more so because you are part of the family of Christ, you should treat them with respect. I think it's important here as we look at these relationships to see the analogies for us today as it relates to our relationship as employees with supervisors and or our relationship with employers. And I think there's some principles that we can pull out as it relates to respect in the workplace. The first is this, that Christian employees respect their supervisors by recognizing their position of authority. What we have established at the beginning of this series is from 1 Peter 2, 13 and 17. It says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. That includes our relationships at work, our supervisors and our employees. And he goes on in verse 17 to show proper respect. What we said is respect is extending honor and attention, uh, acknowledging value and worth. And Paul here is, uh, Peter is writing, but he is saying that um, regardless, uh, we should show respect to another because of their position of authority. Now, probably many of us feel uncomfortable when we talk about this idea of submission and talk about authority. But the thing that we must wrestle with is if it is okay for God to be in a relationship of submission and authority, is it okay for us? Because what we know about God is that he is part of the Trinity, that God is one entity that shows himself as three persons. And included in this loving, caring, perfect relationship is one of submission and authority. Because Jesus submits to God the Father, and the Holy Spirit submits both to Jesus and God the Father. And God, too, has called us in certain contexts to have that respect. Children to parents, wives to husbands, employees to employers. That is just part of the natural order he's created us, that we can be in loving relationships and express submission and authority even with equality. Now, 
Maybe you're thinking it's very easy to show respect when we feel respected. And Adam, it's probably easy for you because uh, you have one of the uh, best bosses in the world, right? And Dan, and, and honestly, I acknowledge it's very easy for me to do that. But I always haven't worked in this environment. I remember a few weeks on a previous job, uh, I was excited about uh, being in this role. And one thing that I was asked to do was to take a spiritual survey of the clients that I worked with. After going through this test a few times, I recognized that uh, a lot of the questions felt very biased, that it was kind of leading to the certain answers. So one evening I took it home and I decided that I would kind of rework the survey in a way uh, to get the answers that uh, I had presumed we had hoped. And I took it in to my boss the next day and said, hey, um, I just have a suggestion or idea that maybe could make these interviews go better. I remember she looked at it. And she was angry and she said, never again do you touch anything that we have. Never, like, I don't want to hear your ideas or suggestions. And I, I just know how deflated I was. And time and time again in this environment, uh, I felt like ideas or uh, aspirations were uh, rejected. Now, I know many of you are probably in very difficult situations. Maybe that's leading you to a lot of prayerful moments as you enter into work. But what I know is that a lack of respect never excuses disrespect. That no matter what environment we're in, um, we are always called to show respect because respect is an expression of my worship to God and my submission to Jesus' leadership. It's regardless of our circumstance or situation, and we're always called to extend because we have first received from our standing of Christ. Paul goes on in a, another one of his letters to talk about this relationship of work, and he uses slaves and masters. And he says, in everything, work and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor— but rather with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance for the Lord. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. I think this is an extremely important truth for us as it relates to how we go about work. And it's this, we respect our supervisors, our employers, by recognizing my work as worship. How do you view work? Is it something that you do grudgingly? Uh, is it something that you despise, maybe question uh, the value or worth of? I know for the Greeks and Romans, they had a negative view of work. It was this idea that it came out of Pandora's box, along with disease and death. It was something that uh, felt below them to actually work. But Christianity gives a very different picture of work. It is viewed that the material world is good, and work uh, is and was done by God, that God not only created the world, but he is at work. Jesus, when uh, he walked this earth, was a carpenter. 
that work is part of God's natural creation, that it's not a result of the fall, that it was given to Adam as part of his responsibility to till the ground before sin entered the picture. Work is something that uh, you and I have been entrusted to, that we find purpose, significance, and meaning. God made the world to need work. Without it, we suffer loss and emptiness. Work is actually part of God's picture for all time. Work is something that you and I will do in eternity. We see um, you know, the new heavens and the new earth described like a city. And within the context of city are art, but commerce, government, that you and I will have jobs for all eternity. Martin Luther said this about work. He said, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because they may sing a Christian hymn while they're at work, but as she sweeps because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his duty by not putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Do you view your work as worship? Do you work as if you're serving the Lord? Each of us are called to work, regardless of the profession. It may difference in pay. Some of us uh, get paid a lot, some of us very little, some of us maybe nothing at all. But all of us are called to do work. I find it interesting here in Colossians that Paul says how we work is extremely important. He says, Whatever you do in your work environment, do it with all of your heart. He goes on to correct those in Thessalonica, and he says, We hear that some among you are idle. You're disruptive. And he says, Stop being busybodies. And he says, Rather, urge them to earn their living. So I think one aspect of how you and I respect our supervisors is by working hard. I saw a meme on social media recently that said, always give 100% at work. And it was broken up in the course of the week, right? That I think many of us may interact with work that way. That we kind of cash it in at certain times or maybe don't always give our best effort. But God is concerned just as much in how you and I perform at work as much as our behavior at work. It was said that uh, early Christians who happened to be slaves would be sold at a higher price because of their work ethic, their desire to work hard. God is uh, you know, very strong as he talks about idleness and laziness and calling us to this purpose to be productive and to live our lives with meaning and significance. I had the opportunity uh, before I started at Grace to work at the Salvation Army Adult Rehabilitation Center. And in that context, uh, guys who struggle with drug and alcoholic addictions would come to be part of the program upwards of six to eight months. They would work in some fashion of the program. So they would have 
classes and education, but they would work a, a normal 40-hour work week. And that was part of their theology of work, whether it was sorting clothing or donations or eventually going out on the trucks. They believed in what they called work therapy, that God created you and I to work. And uh, especially for those that had struggled with addiction, they had been out of the rhythm and the expectation of a life of work. And it was so significant in that setting to be able to establish healthy rhythms and patterns in a way of being able to uh, glorify God, but also to be productive, uh, to not be lazy or not be idle, because our job is very important. There are no menial jobs to God but rather we're called to do whatever we are tasked with, with excellence. Now, this idea of working hard doesn't minimize character expectations that uh, we have as it comes to work. Titus 2, it says, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Are you able to be fully trusted in your work environment so that in every way they will make the teaching of God and our Savior attractive? If you're taking notes at home, I'd like you to write it this way. We respect our supervisors by working with integrity and not complaining. Paul goes on here to talk about um, our character at work, that uh, we would do it with, without lying, uh, with integrity, without stealing, without kind of cashing it in and during our work hours, just surfing the internet and finding ways to avoid doing work. But he also talks about our language at work because it's very common in the workplace to complain, to complain about fellow employees, to complain about our bosses, to complain about the amount of vacation time that we have, that Paul is concerned about our speech because it is so important as an aspect of respect that we watch our words closely. Paul says in uh, another book of his that we should do everything, do our work without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, that we're called to work with integrity, but also to avoid complaining so that we may shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. This is kind of uh, the desire that he has, as we've seen in the other passages that we looked at, is that so that in every way, the manner which you and I work, so that we make the gospel attractive, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. As you go about your job, probably for many of you, Monday through Friday, do you make the gospel attractive in the manner in which you work? Do you work with integrity? Do you watch your words? Do you work hard? Do you do your work as if you're serving the Lord? Do you recognize the position of authority that God has given to those who are above you? because we have much opportunity in our work environments to make much of Jesus, 
to be able to point others to him by the manner which you and I perform and behave at work. I think there's something subtle here that is easy to miss in our First Timothy passage. And here he talks a lot about how employees should treat supervisors and employers. But there's also an assumption that he has about believing uh, leaders who happen to be in charge of others. And that assumption we find at the end of verse 2. He says, in talking about believing masters, that they are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to their welfare. I'd like to quickly just give some indication of how uh, a Christian leader who happens to be in a position as a supervisor and employer can lovingly be cared about their welfare. Their welfare would just be uh, their well-being or uh, good fortunes for those that happen to be under us. The first that I would suggest is that we are devoted to the welfare of our employees by offering encouraging and corrective words. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but rather what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is a great verse to memorize, one that uh, I've given my kids to memorize because it doesn't just talk about unwholesome words, these things that are rotten and useless and encourage us to avoid those, but rather to use our words because within them is the power of life and death, that we can use our words to be helpful to others, that you and I are most helpful when we take a position of wanting to hear from other people, that we take the time to listen, to acknowledge their needs, to ask questions, to understand how we can be most helpful. And in those environments, we are unafraid to offer both corrective words, but encouraging words. Because each of us, in terms of being employees, are in need of direction and support. We're in need of how to do the job, but encouragement of which to do the job. And as a leader, understanding what is most needed at the appropriate time is how we can best be care for and concern with the welfare of those who are under us. That regardless of our personality, even if it makes us uncomfortable, but we value the welfare of employees so much that we're willing to say the hard things, but we do it in a gentle, caring, loving way in order of helping their welfare. So the first kind of opportunity is offering encouraging and corrective words. I think we see a second in Scripture is by advocating for fair wages. This may sound uh, a little unique or different, and depending on our, set, our setting, advocating may look different. But what we see here in James is he's talking to rich people, and he's saying, your wealth has rotted, your moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver have eroded. And he says, you've hoarded wealth, but he says, look, the wages that you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying against you. The cries of the ar harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. I know that for many of us, we feel comfortable when we talk about God being a God of love. His mercy and his grace and his faithfulness and his consistency and his pursuit for us. 
But God is equally a God of justice. That's why Jesus had to come to pay the penalty that you and I deserved, that his death on the cross fully met God's love, but also his justice. Because God describes himself as the defender of the vulnerable all throughout Scripture. We see this quartet that he is often concerned about. The widow, the alien or the foreigner, the orphan, um, the poor. That God has a heart for those who are often easily taken advantage of. And our role as a supervisor and employer is to be concerned for one's welfare to fight for a fair wage for them, that the success of the business should translate into the success of the employee. And so being concerned about welfare is offering and encouraging words, advocating for fair wages. But I think there's one final thing that is important for us to consider, and that is being concerned with the soul of those who have the opportunity to lead. We see in Colossians 4, Paul here is saying, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And he says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for this message. Proclaim this mystery, this oxymoron. Pray that I may proclaim the mystery of the gospel clearly. He's saying, first, when you're in a role, are you prayerful about those that you have the opportunity to interact with at work? Are you praying for open doors to share the gospel? Are you praying for avenues with which to speak truth, to offer hope, to be able to point people to Jesus? And he goes on to say, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. For those that don't know Christ, they are observing you in such a way as to get the clearest picture of who Jesus is. Is the picture that you're offering making them attractive to the message of the gospel, or is it repelling them? And he goes on and he says, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That he cares about the way that you and I respond to others, maybe in terms of their curiosity, the tone of our conversations, that our work environment provides um, probably a, a beautiful opportunity to display who Christ is. And for those that have the opportunity to lead others, what I think the probably greatest aspect of being concerned about their welfare is prayerfully, intentionally, and graciously pointing them to Jesus. Because what I know for many of us is that our work environment provides uh, probably the most opportunity to be around others who do not know Christ. And our posture towards them at work makes a significant difference in being able to clarify and being able to state the truth of the gospel, that we can use our own lives, that we uh, would be unafraid and bold in appropriate settings, to be able to um, give a picture of the power of the gospel. I don't know what setting you find yourselves in. Maybe for some of you, it is both as a supervisor and an employee. But I know that the focus of this conversation is 
less on whether I'm receiving respect, but am I earning respect at work? Am I making the gospel attractive? Do I work with integrity? Do I care about my fellow employees? Am I intentional and aware and sensitive to their spiritual life? God desires that we would work hard, that we would view our work as worship, that we would offer and extend respect to others in our workplace environment. And in doing so, we shine like stars in a crooked and perverse generation. May you and I passionately, lovingly work with all of our heart, work with a way in which we desire to please the Lord, who is our ultimate boss. Will you pray with me? Father, uh, Lord, our heart, our passion, our desire is that we would work in such a way to bring you glory, to be able to make the uh, picture of the gospel so clear in the manner in which we perform, but also behave at work. I pray for those of us that are in very hard and difficult work environments, that you would give us the strength to show respect even when we're not shown it, that you would allow us to recognize uh, the authority that you have placed in our lives and to work hard, and to work with integrity, and to work with the mindset of our work as worship. We love you, and we thank you for this time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.